Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Stayed in Rome, but 
Paul sent this letter by Tychicus to deliver to the Colossian believers. And last week we looked at the greeting, chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And Paul, he gives three evidences in his first few verses of the first chapter. He gives three evidences of the salvation of the Colossian believers. Here's how I know you're a believer. This is what the pastors has told me. This is how I know that you're a believer and you're in the faith. First of all, you have a faith that's evident. They have faith, right? Second thing he told them was you have a love for the brothers. You love each other. That's evidence that you're a believer in Christ. You're a follower of Christ. And thirdly, he says this faith and, and love is actually a, a result of you having hope in the future promise, in the promises of God concerning your future. And all of this happened because Epaphras took the gospel back to his hometown. Now we're in chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. The first thing that we can learn from this text this morning is that when we see God at work, that should motivate us to prayer. And I put, a, I put an outline in, in the bulletin. If you have a bulletin, if you're a, a note taker, you can fill that in or, or you cannot. You can just listen if you like. But there, are, there is an outline there for you. The first thing we learn here. And when we see God at work, we should, we should be motivated to pray. Now, Paul had heard of their, the Colossians' faith. The pastor told us, man, these people, man, they, they, they trust Jesus, they love each other, and they have a hope in eternal things. And they had some issues in the church, and Paul's going to address those issues in the next few chapters. But the believers were doing well. There was evidence of their faith. Paul was excited about where they were, what was going on. They had some good things going on. They were, they were believers. They were doing well. And, and what happens when things go well, what do we tend to do in our spiritual walk or in our prayer life? Well, yeah, we kind of let off the gas a little bit, don't we? Then we relax. When things are going well, we, we, we relax. And, and in fact, we, we pray a lot when there's trouble, when there's tragedy, right? When there's difficulty. And, uh, and that's, that's, we should, right? But it's kind of like being on call. When you're on call, uh, when, do you, when do you hear from somebody? Yeah, when there's a problem. Yeah, when there's a problem. Uh, I know Br- Brother Bobby Dotson, he's on call a lot. Now, people don't call them to tell them that the, the water treatment plant, that everything's going well. No, they call them when the, the pump's broken or a, a pipe's burst, right? Yeah. You're, 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 you're called when there's trouble, when you're troubled. Or think about your, your electrician. I'm doing, I'm doing remodeling my house, so I'm kind of got construction on the brain. But think about your electrician. Yesterday, your lights turned on. Everything was good. You didn't call your electrician to tell him, you know, my lights are working well. Everything's going good, right? When you call your electrician, when there's no lights, right? Yeah. Or your teacher, uh, your child's teacher, they don't call you in the middle of the day to say, man, little Johnny, little Sally, man, they're so obedient. They don't do that, do they? No, they call you when they say, wow, your, your child, we're having some difficulty today. He's not obeying, right? He's not on task. Yeah. And what happens is that mainly kind of transfers over to our spiritual life. We, uh, we pray when things aren't going well with our marriage or we're having difficulty with our kids. Or our job, we think we might lose our job, then what do we do? We, we go to pray, and we should. But Paul here, he's, these, these believers are being faithful. And what's he doing? He's praying for them. He's, he's praying while he sees God at work. And why? Why do we do that? Why do we pray when things are going well? 
when we see God at work, when we see God move and the Holy Spirit move in the hearts of people, why do we pray when we see that happening? We do so because we know that prayer is how God does His work. We talked about this before. Prayer is the instrument God used to bless His people. This is how He does His work. It's kind of mysterious. We don't totally understand it. But that's how God does His work through the prayers of His people. We should pray with a strategy. You know, tragedy strikes when we're having difficulty on Wednesday night. We have needs. People who are, are dealing with cancer, or people having surgery, or people who's dealing with marriage issues. You know, we've got a, a family we've been praying for diligently. Yeah, that we, we do that. But when we see God moving and we see God blessing people and working in their hearts, we need to we need to pray. Pray that God's work through His Spirit might continue. Okay, Lincoln Duncan, he's a Presbyterian pastor. I love to listen to him. He reminds us of the Puritans who used to say, "When God is preparing to bless His people, He sets them a praying." When God is preparing to bless his people, he sets them with praying. When God does a work, he puts it on the people's heart for him to pray, and he'll do that very thing. When God's working, it seems like the Lord's working, doing the work, we get kind of complacent in our prayer line. So I think here, just from the get-go, I think that's something we can learn from this, this text. Things are going well in the, in the, in, in the Colossian believers' hearts. They're being faithful, and, and yet... Paul still prays. We need to do the same. Second thing we can learn from this text, we need to pray that God's will be known and that each of us know how to do His will. Look at verse 9. He says, I haven't stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need to pray and ask God to fill us with the knowledge of of his will. Now keep in mind the Colossian believers, they didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They had the Old Testament and they had um, the teaching of Paul that Epaphras had taught them, but they didn't have the New Testament scriptures that we do. So Paul is asking that they would know God's desire for them. Paul is praying that God would fill them with a knowledge of the will. What does God want them to do? That's what Paul is praying. I want you to know what God wants you to do. What's God's will for your life? That's the most sought-after answer Christians want. They want to know God's will for their life. I was listening to a radio broadcast this week, and they they mentioned that. Christians always want to know what's God's will for their life. And we often, when we think about God's will, we always think about difficult situations, like who we should marry. Should we take the new job or not? Where should I go to college? Things like that. Do I go to this family member's for Thanksgiving dinner? Do I go to this family member's? Yeah, I'm in a trial. I don't know what to do. God, what do you want me to do, right? Should I buy this property or not? Is this God's will? Do I need to buy this property? Do I need to invest this money in this business? These are things that God really hasn't revealed to us. And then a lot of times when we think about, what's God's will for our life? That's what we think about. Now, we're not like the Colossians. We have the, we live after the completion of the New Testament. We have the entire Bible, right, to tell us God's will. And in almost every situation, God's will is known to us. It's known to us. His word is the equivalent to his will. 
How do we know what we should do? How do we know how we should live? How do we know what we should stay away from? It's here. This is God's will. So sometimes we'll quake, oh, what is God's will for these, these difficult situations? But typically, most of the time, we know God's will. It's here. Or we, at least, I, I should say we should know God's will because it's right here. This is God's will for us. Right? This is His will. No, it's not God's will that you divorce. No, it's not God's will that you retaliate after your co-worker said mean things about you. Yes, you should say yes, ma'am, and clean your room like your mother said. Yes, you should drive a speed limit. No, you shouldn't leave off some of your own income off your W-2. Timely, timely. That's timely, isn't it? These things we don't need to pray about. We know. Because it's, it's clear in His Word. These are things we should do. These are things we shouldn't do, right? Should you marry an unbeliever? Should you be sexually immoral? Should you, should you talk maliciously against your neighbor? We know the answer to these questions because He's clearly told us in His Word. We don't need to pray about these things, right? We should know His will. His revealed will, because we have His Word. Do we study His Word? Do we know His will? We should, most of the time, because it's clearly written. Now, we know God's will most of the time, almost all the time. The problem is, we don't know how to apply it specifically. See, that's where we get into trouble. We don't know how to apply it specifically. So that's why Paul prays, look at verse 9. He's asking God to fill fill them with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And sometimes that gets kind of difficult. What is that talking about? I think this is what that means. Our problem is not that we don't know God's will. We know what we should do. We know that we should be considerate as we live with our wives, husbands, to treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Right? Yeah. If you're a believer, husbands, you know that. But how do we do that specifically in our context, within our relationship with our brides? How do we do that? That's where we get into trouble, right? That's when we don't know what to do. Wives, you know you're, you're, you're to submit to your husbands. That's really clear in Scripture. You know that. But for those who have unbelieving husbands, how do you do that specifically in your given situation? That's, that's when things get a little fuzzy. The scriptures tell us we should mourn with those who mourn. We're to, we're to carry each other's burdens, right? But when your friend has a, a miscarriage, how do you do that, right? How do you apply that? That's where we get into. That's where we have difficulty. Didn't we know as we all, those principles, this is what I should do. But sometimes, wow, how do I apply that specifically to my life? That's where we run into trouble. So what do we do? We pray for one another. Just as Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. Pray that God will fill us with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think that's what that's referring to. How do we get it? That's His will. That's what we should do. That's how I should treat my husband. That's how I should treat my wife. That's how I should treat my kids. But specifically, all our situations are a little bit different. But how do we apply that to our lives specifically? So we need to pray and ask God to help us with that. 
When we see God at work, it it should motivate us to pray. And we ought to pray that God's will be known to each and every one of us and that we'll know how to apply that to our lives. Thirdly, as we do God's will, our lives will be characterized by four things. Look at verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Our goal, what's our goal? Our goal is to live a life worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the Lord? We're to live our lives like Christians. Live like Christians. If you've repented, then you're forgiven. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you are a son of God through faith. If you're a Christian, you've repented, you're a friend of Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. Look at verse look at verse 12, 13, 14. It tells us a little bit about ourselves that we're believers. We've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. Verse 13, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We've been, verse 14, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven of our sins. So what's our goal in our, with our lives is to live a life worthy of the Lord. Live like Christians. This is who we are. We're children of the King, so we should live like it. We should our conduct should be growing to our position. This is who we are in Christ, all the things I've just read. We're a child of the king, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. We're co-heirs with Christ. Through faith, we are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. But our conduct, what do we need to do with our conduct? Our conduct needs to grow into our position, right? So he says in verse 10, he prays this. He prays what? He prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. That's our goal in life, is to please the Lord in every way. And it says when we do that, when we characterize our lives, we characterized by four things. The first thing is what? Fruit bearing will bear fruit. Those who know the Lord, who are living a life that pleases Him, they'll be fruitful. Now, that, this is what distinguishes us, believers, from those who have just intellectual sin, right? There's some people say, yeah, I know the Lord. If you ask me, hey, do you know the Lord? I asked a guy this last week at Walmart. you know the Lord? Well, yeah, I know the Lord. Now, if you ask most people that, they say, yeah, I know the Lord, especially right here. Yeah, I know the Lord. But some people have intellectual sin. They know the Lord. They know who the Lord is, right? But maybe they don't. They haven't repented yet. They don't have an intimate knowledge of who he is. But Jesus, he says the same thing in John 15, 8. Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Paul elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So bearing fruit. Fruit is just another way of, of, of saying good deeds. We should do good deeds. We should bear fruit. We should do the things God calls us to do. We should do good works. Now, sometimes in Scripture we equate that with sharing the gospel, winning souls for Christ, right? Yeah, that, that, that's involved in that. In the Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he, he equates bearing fruit with giving praise to God. Yeah, that's being fruitful as well. 
I think as a whole, you say just doing good deeds, doing the things the Lord wants us to do. That's what it means to bear fruit. Is your life fruitful? If you're living a life pleasing to the Lord, you'll bear fruit. Is your life fruitful? You say, yeah, I'm bearing fruit. The second characteristic, look at verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. We grow. Those who live a life pleasing to the Lord, we grow. We grow in, in our knowledge of who God is and what He desires. We grow in the knowledge of His will. We grow in living out these principles. And we grow. We don't stay the same. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says this very clearly. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and the perseverance godliness and the godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture that Peter paints is the same as Paul. We're to be growing. Growing in our knowledge of who he is and the knowledge of his will. Growing in our understanding of how to live that out in our everyday lives. It's kind of like, um, I kind of think about being on the boat. How many of you have been on the boat and you jumped out of the water maybe to swim? Maybe you're at a river or you're in the ocean. Have you ever done that? What happens when you jump out in the water? If you if you don't if you're not swimming continually towards the boat, Mister Mickey, what happens? Yeah, yeah. Too much. That's what happens, right? You got to be constantly swimming towards the boat, or what'll happen? You'll the tide will pull you out, and the current will pull you away, right? Before you know it, you're a long distance away from the boat. Yeah, you make. Yeah, it's kind of like you, you've got to make an effort just to, just to stand still, right? Just to stay still. You have to be constantly swimming, right? And that's, that's kind of what happens if you're not growing as a believer. If you're not growing in the knowledge of God's will, growing in, uh, in, in living out those principles, it's kind of like you just get swept away by the tide of worldliness, right? And temptation and God, godlessness, right? This is what happens. It's kind of like that, that picture. Are you growing in the knowledge of God? Can you say, yeah, I'm growing in the knowledge of God? Yeah. That's the second characteristic of those who live a life pleasing the Lord. Third characteristic. Patience. Perseverance. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious mind so that you might have great endurance and patience. Some of your translations say steadfastness. And notice this is not done by, by us. It's funny. He says one of the characteristics of, of a person who pleases the Lord, you'll bear fruit and you'll grow. Well, that's kind of on us, right? But then this third characteristic, notice this is a passive characteristic. It's done by God. It's not done by ourselves. This third one is given to us by God. Perseverance. We'll be empowered to persevere. We'll be empowered to Steadfastness will be empowered to keep on keeping on. Why are we empowered to persevere? Because following Jesus is hard. And that's just one of God's graces. We're empowered to, to do His will. We're empowered to follow Him. We have to be empowered by God because it's so difficult. You talk to the recovering alcoholic. 
say no to a drink is difficult every day. Or to the single mom dealing with a rebellious child, discipline them with grace. And that can be that can be difficult. Or living for Jesus as a single adult when what do you want more than anything is to be married? That's challenging, isn't it? Yeah, for some of us it is. We need his power. And the great thing about it is he supplies it. We need to pray that he will give us his power so we can persevere in our trials and, and difficulties and do that with patience, endurance, steadfastness. Fourth characteristic of those who live a life please the Lord. You'll be thankful. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. Now, what do we have to be thankful for? He reminds us there in verse 12 through 14. Through verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What do we have to be thankful for? Yeah, if you're a believer, there was a time, maybe not too long ago, when you were lost in sin. You're an enmity with God. You're an object of God's wrath. Maybe for some of you, this is not too long ago, right? Not too long ago, you were not living a life worthy of the Lord. You were not trying to please the Lord, right? You were not bearing fruit. You were not growing in the knowledge of God. For Many of us, that was just not too long ago. Yeah, this, this is who I was. I was I was a different person, but now because of God's grace, He's changed me. What do we have to be thankful for? A lot. Right? A lot. I heard this um, about 20 years ago. This guy's Mark Lowry. He's a singer, and um, he says, everything above hell is a privilege. And that stuck with me from, from then on for 20 years. And I think about that a lot. Everything above hell is a privilege. Yeah, hell is that's what we deserve. But because of God's grace and mercy, what has he done? He has rescued us, verse 13 says, from the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul, he says, we should, a believer who lives a life, please the Lord, they're characterized by thankfulness. If we're living life, please the Lord, we're thankful for what God's done. And he, he, it's, it's interesting, Paul here, he just spells out the gospel. Verse 12 through 14, this is the gospel. This is what God's done for us. Are you thankful? Do you have a thankful heart for what God's done for you? That's a characteristic of those who please the Lord. They're thankful. And if you don't have a thankful heart, I'll encourage you the best, best solution to an unthankful heart is to share the gospel. Share the gospel. If you just don't have a thankful heart, if you're kind of embittered, you're kind of inward focused, best thing for you, share the gospel with somebody. When you share the gospel, what does it do? It puts things in perspective again. You're, share your testimony with somebody. You're, you're, you're reminded of what you used to be, and that you're reminded of now who you are in Christ. Greatest remedies for unthankful hearts, share the gospel. Share the gospel of Jesus. We see God at work, just to remind you, it should motivate us to pray 
Don't let off the gas. Don't coast. Don't take a break. Let's be prayerful people. Even when things are going well, we see God doing a work in somebody's heart. We should just be diligent to pray, continue to pray. We need to pray that God's will be known and that each of us know how to do His will. We need help to know how to apply certain biblical principles to our individual lives. We need to pray for each other. We need to live a life pleasing the Lord. And when we do, Scripture teaches us this morning that we'll be fruitful, we'll be growing in our knowledge of the Lord, we'll be persevering, we'll be thankful. Just to, as we close, just by way of application, what do we do with that this week? Because this is why we study, right? We study the truth of the scriptures so we'll know, okay, what do I now what do I need to do? Pray, first of all. In good times and bad times, when things are going well, when things aren't going well, we, we pray. We're, we're a praying people. We should be a praying people. Secondly, we need to pray that God will fill us with the knowledge of His will and we'll know how to apply that to our lives. We need to pray that for ourselves. We need to pray that for one another. Thirdly, in order to be fruit-bearing, growing in a knowledge of God, persevering and, and thankful, we have to be studying His Word. We have to know His will. We have to be studying His Word. So I encourage you, study the Word of God. If you don't have a, a systematic way of studying the Bible, Come on Wednesday nights, that's what we're doing. I'm teaching, teaching how to study the Bible. You have to study the Word. And lastly, maybe you're... Well, I ask you, can, can you, individually, can you say that God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life? Can you say that He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son He loves? Can you say that in Christ you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? If that's not true, if you can't say, yeah, that's me, just by way of application, I'll encourage you to repent. Turn from your sin. Scriptures say if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Repent and turn to the Lord. Believe that Jesus, trust that Jesus did die for your sins, that he rose again on the third day. Trust that God will forgive you. Trust him at his word. I encourage you to repent. Repent today. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Give you a moment, if you're a believer, uh, time for the Spirit to um, do work in your heart. Maybe this is a time for you to be praying and asking God, show me how to apply this to my life, what we've learned this morning. Maybe you're an unbeliever and you don't know the Lord. You said, when you asked me those questions, I couldn't say that was true of me. I, I haven't been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. I haven't been redeemed. I haven't been forgiven. He hasn't rescued me yet. I encourage you, just today, repent. I'll be here if you want to talk about that. If you're not sure if you know the Lord, if you don't talk about that, I'd love to talk, talk to you about that. If you're a believer, this is the time for you to, to, to pray and ask the Lord, am I being fruitful? Am I growing in my knowledge of the Lord? Am I persevering? Do I have a, a thankful heart? 
We come to church and we, we hear the teaching of the Word. We've been in small group. We've sang songs and we're hearing the teaching of the Word. We want to leave. And we want to apply it to our lives. Why do we come to church today? We, we, we want to learn and I want to go out and apply it to our lives. Believer, ask the Lord, how, how do I need to apply this to my life this week? Let's stand and let's sing a, a song of invitation. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.